Hello, welcome to Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. We're Scott and Maureen Proctor, and today we're going to study the book of Malachi. This is a book that matters so much to us as members of the church because it's really important to our doctrine and has incredibly important things to say to us. So we're excited to explore it today. And we have with us Paul Nada, who's going to help us and be with us uh, a little later in the show. And he is the marketing and communications and PR manager for Family Search. So among the things he does, of course, is works intimately with Roots Tech, which is the most grand gathering of family history lovers in the world. And so it'll be so fun to talk to him about what's happening in Family Search. So, Scott, this is a chapter we love. This is, and as we begin in Malachi, we have lots of interesting things in the first two chapters, but in the third chapter, we get to something that we're all very familiar with, and that is about the law of tithing. And the entire book of Malachi is only 55 verses. It's a very small book, and the name Malachi means messenger or my messenger, and it is really packed with teachings and doctrine and messages. So I want to share with you listeners a story from my life uh, that means a lot to me about tithing as we begin here, because this is where I received my witness of tithing. Three months after I was baptized, a frightening and very real challenge came to my fledgling faith and my new membership in the church, and I shall never forget it. We lived on a beautiful farm just outside of Rolla, Missouri, at the northern end of the Ozarks, and in the midst of a verdant, beautiful forest. In fact, I should more accurately describe our farm as 230 acres of a spread of rolling hills covered with woods and beautiful fields and meadows, but mainly thick, deciduous woods. Our home sat up on a lovely hill facing to the south, overlooking a beautiful valley and hills and a lone small gravel road connected us to the outside world. So in the distance of some almost three quarters of a mile, we could see old Route 66 that was soon to become Interstate 44. The service roads had been put in for the interstate on the north and the south of the new four-lane freeway. And on the south side of the far service road was a train track. And my brother and I used to listen for the trains to come and we would then jump on the couch and we would count the cars from our distant home. And I remember seeing them go by all the time. And I think our record was like 178 cars that we counted. But that spring had brought no rain and our land was as dry as it had ever been. The tall grasses had all turned brown. The little intermittent creek in the bottom land, ironically called Spring Creek, was nearly dry with only a few muddy water holes remaining, and those were full of tadpoles and minnows and covered with those little active water skippers. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And in those days, we met in church from 9 to 12 in the morning, and then we would come back for a sacrament meeting at 6 in the evening. Our bishop, Mervyn Peterson, was getting ready to move to Colorado, and he and his family were over for dinner. My father was his first counselor and my dad would be called to be bishop in about two weeks. I remember so vividly walking out on our front porch with my dad. The wind was so strong that day, it was gusting to about 40 or 50 miles an hour. A gust literally picked me up off the porch 
and my father grabbed my hand as I was nearly blown away. I felt like a sheet hung on the line to dry, just flapping in the wind. At that moment, a train made its way from the west to the east with its heavy loads and many score cars. It was making a lot of noise for some reason, high-pitched squeaking sounds. A number of the wheels of some of the cars were locked in place. With that metal on metal, they were throwing sparks out all along the track, so much so that we could see the large trails of sparks like big sparklers coming from those wheels. Well, many dry leaves were swirling in the wind along the base of the tracks, and some of them caught fire. In fact, there were several little fires along the track in our view. Within moments, some of those burning leaves were carried by that wind across the service road, and then across the four-lane freeway, and then the other service road, and they came like fire arrows down upon our forest on the south. From that moment, it seemed like things happened faster than I could calculate them. Our beautiful dry forest was now ablaze, and because of the high winds, was spreading very quickly. Our bishop's family left immediately, but not the bishop. It was soon apparent that the fire was very serious. Sacrament meeting was called off and all the brethren were called upon to help. There's a big fire at the proctor's place. We need your help, the bishop said as he called the brethren. A small power line ran through these very woods, bringing us the electricity we needed, not only for our lights and appliances, but for the pump on our well that gave us water. If the power line was burned, we would have no ability to pump water to protect our home. My father gave my 11-year-old brother and me some instructions. Fill everything you can see with water. Any container you can find, just fill it with water. You must do this quickly and continue working until I give you further instructions. Upon this, he and my 15-year-old brother, Lane, went off to fight the fire. My oldest brother had left on his mission to Norway just six weeks before. My brother and I ran around finding everything we could, buckets, cans, jars, an old ice chest, everything. We kept looking out at the forest that was in flames. The strong winds were coming from the south and the fire was being fanned out of control. It was burning with mighty fury now, consuming everything in its path. The flames had leaped over our little road that led to our home and our escape route by car was now cut off. The wildfire was now exploding all around and the flames shot 50 to 70 feet into the air, consuming every tree, every dry bush, every bit of undergrowth. Four or five fire departments were now fighting the fire. 40 or 50 acres were engulfed in a sea of flames, all of it heading towards our home very rapidly. There was no natural break for the fire. On the other side of the small creek in the bottomlands was a dry field that led up the hill right to our home. One spark, one tiny flame in this dry mass of weeds and grasses. And it would probably be a matter of three to five minutes before the fire would be to our home and consume everything we had. At this moment, my father and older brother came quickly to the house. My dad's eyebrows were singed. His face was red from the heat and black with soot. He said to all of us, come quickly, we need to gather and have a family prayer. I shall never forget this moment. We knelt around my parents' bed. My father smelled like smoke and fire, and that smell lingered through the entire prayer. 
My father pled with the Lord that our home and belongings and lives would be spared. He prayed with great fervency. He asked that through the priesthood, the fire could be stopped. He reminded the Lord that we had always paid our tithing and asked that the Lord would stop the devouring fire. I was only eight years old. My heart nearly burst within me in a combination of fear and faith. We got up from the prayer. My mother had gathered a few items, genealogy and pictures, some ward records that we had in a little box, and that's all. My father said, now, boys, this is very serious. You must watch for my signal. If the fire should continue as it is, you will have to go with mother and take these few things, and you must run with all your might through the back trail out of the woods. You must go quickly. You cannot slow down. You cannot turn back. You must bring mother with you and run until you get to Highway V, which was about two miles away. We knew the way. It was through a thick woods, but we knew some secret trails to get there. With the lingering feeling of the prayer and the serious counsel of my father ringing in my ears, he left quickly and thrust himself back into the conflagration. We were prepared to run. Our hearts were pounding. Now the fire engulfed 80 acres of forest. The flames were so high it seemed like no one could stand even getting near them. We continued to watch. The fire was now only a few feet away from the small, nearly dry creek in the bottomland. One small paper match could have started the field on fire. On an instant, and it was marked deeply in my heart, as the trees and undergrowth were burning out of control and as the flames came to the dry field, the wind changed directions. I remember not only the feeling, but the sound of the wind going the opposite direction. It was a loud blast and a pop and the wind immediately came from the north. As if from the mouth of God himself, the wind came with great force and power. The wind blew the fire back against itself and within a few hours put itself out. Not one dry thistle of our field was charred. Not one spark landed in the weeds. Not one tree fell from south to north by the creek. The devourer had been rebuked and we were spared. Now in Malachi it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? The Lord gives the answer, In tithes and offerings. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now listen to this, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. I cannot forget the lesson of my youth to witness the rebuke of the devourer and see the tie to faith, to priesthood, and to the payment of tithing. This is a foundation piece of my testimony. I know, Scott, we've talked often how paying our tithing is such a sacred and joyful thing. To think that we could give anything to the Lord who gives so much to us. So when we pay that tithing, we feel joy. And I know sometimes paying tithing can be very challenging when budgets run low and when 
choices are on the table, like shall we eat beans all week and pay our tithing or shall we have something better to eat? Well, when even those hard choices are before us, tithing is sacred and joyful because we are building the very temples, for example, that make us able to have all the joyful covenants that we are involved with with the Lord, that we are covenant people, and we make those choices in temples that we have sacrificed to build. Isn't that just beautiful? It's astounding. In fact, that leads us, Maureen, to this part that we're really excited to talk about today, and that is the turning of the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to the children. Uh, this is in Malachi 4, and we are all familiar with these verses. Uh, and it's important that we also are reminded that this is one of the scriptures that Moroni brought to Joseph Smith, but he changed it a little bit. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here's where we see such an acceleration of the work. Maureen, why don't you tell us about the acceleration of temple building just as we uh, look at what's happened in, just in our recent lifetime. Oh my goodness. It took the church 161 years to build the first 50 temples and then only 40 months to build the next 50 temples. President Hinckley announced 86 temples in his 12-year administration, and President Nelson has announced 118 temples in less than five years. Is the Lord sending us a message? Is he hastening his work? Every time a temple is announced, we feel this sense of joy and this sense that the Lord has a bigger plan than we can even see in making us a covenant people. So, Paul, your job is all about family search. And now all of us, all of us who are listening today, I'm sure have some relationship with family search, but you're right in the heart of this. And I just have kind of an initial question with 69 million people dying in 2021. Um, how do we keep up? How do we do this work? Is, do you feel like, you know, what's, what's happening that helps us keep up with this work? First of all, guys, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be part of your podcast. I enjoy the wonderful work you guys do in the spirit of your your sharing and podcast. You know, it's an interesting question. 69 million people dying in 2021 alone. How do we keep up? It's not just about the dead, right? The turning of hearts to the fathers and the turning of hearts to the children um, is uh, as much about the living as it is about the dead. And so it's, it's fun to be involved with that doctrine, you know, with the church and to see inspiration at play. Um, you know, the brethren often say that technology doesn't inspire, um, the Holy Spirit inspires. And so the Lord inspires technology for us to create experiences and help facilitate the work on both sides of the veil. So we're seeing amazing things, um, you know, at Family Search. It's inspiring to see how uh, hearts are turning with all of Heavenly Father's children in and outside the covenant, and ultimately 
drawing them to the covenants, either literally or in, in some shape or form. And it's part of the gathering. We've heard about the gathering, right? Um, you know, we're taught that the spirit of Elijah is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost, bearing witness of the divine nature of the family. And then President Nelson has followed up with that, saying that we're part of the great gathering, that anytime you do anything that helps anyone on either side of the veil take a step toward making covenants with God, and receiving their essential baptism and temple ordinances, you are helping to gather Israel. It is as simple as that. And that's the sacred nature of this work that we're able to be involved with and privileged to be involved with. So to answer your question at a high level, Scott, and we can go into more detail with you, you know, we get a, a, a million visits a day at Family Search. And most of those are not members of the church, by the way. So we're seeing the impact of that uh, spirit of Elijah on Heavenly Father's children throughout the world. We read about the, uh, the story in First in Nephi, chapter 5, uh, verses 10 through 17, where Lehi, when he receives the brass plates and he's reading them, he's surprised to see that his genealogy was on these plates. And he, you know, it says, quote, he, he did discover the genealogy of his fathers on these plates of Laban, and it changed him. He, it says he was filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy concerning his seed. That is the same thing that we're experiencing today. We don't use brass plates. We use inspired, innovative technology and the records from the archives of the world to give individuals their own personal Lehi experiences. And as hearts turn, Heavenly Father's children worldwide begin to add to the metaphorical brass plates of their family online at Family Search and elsewhere. We see them adding family names and record numbers to the family tree of mankind. They add artifacts uh, like photos and stories and, and family records, birth, marriage, and death records uh, as all part of this tree to document these loved ones that have gone before. And then, of course, it all points to the temple, and the temple points to the Savior and Heavenly Father. So it's it's a really cool, sacred work. And the archives of the world are opening. We have nearly 17 billion searchable names and images online. Almost 2 billion were added just this year alone. Can you imagine that? Uh, well, we've got over 1.5 billion names on the this family tree of mankind that I'm talking about on family search. So we're going to see more and more people adding what they know from culture to culture in the future as we expand um, these services in local cultures and, and languages. Um, people have added two and a half billion sources, these artifacts I was talking about from their family um, to the tree, um, 360 million alone in 2022. And and then the church is adding all these local centers that you are aware of throughout the world to help people locally get the assistance that they need. So to me, those are all simple examples of how the spirit of Elijah is permeating the world and people are responding to it. And, you know, in many ways, this spirit of Elijah is also the spirit of love, because as you begin to search someone out, you love them. You you care about them in a different way. And it's about turning the hearts of the children to the fathers. But what happens is as you turn to the fathers, it turns out to be a really, really big family just with your own father and mother. And then as you go on, 
it's also even a bigger and bigger and bigger family. So you are connected and tied and learn to love, hopefully in a covenantal way, the, the people that are around you. It expands your possibilities for knowledge and care. Well, and Maureen, that reminds me so much of the feeling that we've had as you and I have gone to Roots Tech for many years. Um, they have a thing they do there where you kind of, as soon as you sign in to the app, you put your family search account in there and all of a sudden you find out. I remember one time when I looked and there were like 4,574 cousins there in the hall with me. And I thought, this is incredible. And it lists them from the most closely related uh, to the most distant related. And it was just fascinating. I started connecting with people. I'd walk across, where are you right now? Oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, I see you. you're waving. And then I go and say, you're my second cousin. I can't believe this. I've never met you before, you know, and there is a feeling of family. But Paul, we were concerned about Roots Tech because I remember when COVID hit, it was kind of like, I thought, oh my goodness, Roots Tech is going to be toast because there is there's nothing you can do to gather people like that in this huge hall. What happened to Rootstech during COVID and beyond? You know, talking about hearts of the children turning to the fathers and the fathers to the children. Um, for those that don't know, Rootstech is a global celebration of the family and Heavenly Father's children worldwide. Uh, from every clime, culture, language, they, they come together uh, online and we, we celebrate family and connecting and gathering and discovery. And so, as you know, the first 10 years or so of Roots Tech, we were predominantly doing a conference uh, in person and it had a virtual element to it, but it was pretty limited with how much we may have broadcast uh, each day. And so where we were used to having 10 or 15,000 people in person joining that conference and, you know, a couple tens of thousands of people joining us uh, virtually uh, doing it. We, with COVID, we were not able to do an in-person experience. And so we were presented with the challenge to make Rootstech an all virtual global experience. And, you know, as the Lord always does, uh, doors open, inspiration comes, and things happen. So we expanded from creating inspiring experiences for tens of thousands of people in person to welcoming more than 3 million participants um, through online broadcast and other channels um, this year. Oh, that was the number from this year. From 227 countries and territories, uh, the virtual nature of it we went from offering, you know, hundreds of classes to over 1,500 sessions uh, in more than 30 languages, covering 185 topics. And of course, it's all freely available online after the fact. So it's not like if you don't make it to the three-day uh, in-person experience, you've, you, you've lost out. Uh, these things are recorded and they're made available online. So they continue to bless people and they can be directed to those. We have celebrities main stage, we call them celebrities from all over the world. Um, and LDS and non-LDS, again, the, the spirit of Elijah impacts um, all of Heavenly Father's children. So we were able to expand to uh, a world uh, patron and audience. And the, the experience you were talking about, Scott, was called Relatives Around Me. So the one you were talking about doing with the app there in person, we actually did that virtually. 
to the worldwide audience of millions of people. And so it was phenomenal to see how people all over the world were expanding with relatives that they've never met, didn't know existed. And so countless living connections were made. That is so exciting. Now, I remember, Paul, you and I had a conversation, I don't know, some months ago, and you were telling us about the changes that are coming about just because of increased uh, knowledge of technology, et cetera. And uh, you were talking a little bit about artificial intelligence. Now, most of us don't realize how much artificial intelligence or AI has been affecting all of us. You know, if anybody has uh, Alexa or some other service in their home and all these things we use on our phones and we have amazing things happening, but how does this relate to gathering the family of man? Is it, has it been helpful to you or what's going on with AI? You know, we've just begun to scratch the surface with, with artificial intelligence. Um, so to kind of put that in perspective for our listeners, you know, the church began microfilming genealogical records like birth, marriages, and death records back in 1938. They were kind of out on the forefront of doing that. And so we, we'd go through archives all throughout the world and, and begin microfilming their records. And as technology has advanced, um, we've realized, you know what, we can we can provide greater access to these uh, microfilms if we were able to digitize them and put them online. So in 2021, during COVID, um, many may have missed the milestone, but the church finished digitizing its massive microfilm collection, millions of rolls of them from all over the world. And we published those, those images online for people to freely go and search from the, you know, the convenience of their home. So that in and of itself was a major milestone. So what was the next challenge? The next challenge was how do we take the data, the information that is on, you know, these digital images, for example, you know, a birth record or a census page, how do we get the names and information off of that into a, a format that you can just type in a name of an ancestor that's on that document and show it in your results set, you know, in your results on your computer in just a second or two. Kind of like Google. People don't realize that Google is a massive indexing engine. It goes out and, and, and trolls all these pages of content online and creates an index to it so that when you type in something of interest to you, you're basically searching an index that Google has created. So in that same principle, how do you use technology to take these images and to go in and read all of the handwriting on these records and create a searchable index so that Paul and Scott and Maureen and whoever can just go and search an ancestor's name when they feel impressed to do so and have that name that's otherwise hidden in this obscure document uh, online, uh, bring it to you and just really quick that way. Well, that, that requires an index. And so the challenge you've got with all these images we've got online, they're um, for the most part in you know different languages. And um, what artificial intelligence does for us, little by little, we're adding languages. It goes through and we can run that image through this artificial intelligence and it will create a rough index of all the information interpreted from the handwriting on that document. So you think of a birth record as a mother and a father and birth month and day and year on it. 
um, you can program artificial intelligence to look through this scanned image and try to recognize a name and relationships and birth dates and stuff like that, depending on the type of document. It takes some programming up front, but it's being done. And so the engineers with inspiration and, and the Inspire technology are able to go in and do that. So we took this handwriting recognition software. They've been developing it last year and this year. We've, we've applied it to Spanish records, records written in Spanish, for example. And just to give you an idea of what that was able to do, um, it was able to basically create a simple index in one year that would, with current volunteers and help, would have taken us 100 years to do. So that much advancement. Now, the other thing, and then so we've, we're adding Portuguese this year. Next year, we're adding Italian. So little by little, we're adding more languages. So the... So the amazing thing there is you've got to go through and take the alphabet in the 100 to 1,000 different versions of a a capital A and a small a and a big J and a little J and put it all together and teach uh, the technology a little bit, uh, the artificial intelligence, you know, what what each of those is. And then it does the the amazing work for us. So as we're out scanning more and more records, um, digitizing them online, the, the inspired intelligence is taking that and creating indexes. Now, we also introduced this year um, another technology associated called Get Involved. Don't know if you guys saw that. Um, Get Involved is online at Family Search. So individuals that speak languages natively, like Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, and these others we'll be adding, they can come in and look at these artificially intelligent, uh, intelligence-created indexes, these computer-assisted indexes, and help us look at the names that it generates. The intelligence is smart enough to know that it's not quite sure that it made a good transcription. And so it'll say, I think this said Scott, and this may have said Proctor, not sure. So it'll question itself. So volunteers can go online now under get involved. And in five minutes, 10 minutes, however much time you want to spend on it, you can look at that translation, that transcription and say, yep, that's definitely Scott. No, that's not Proctor. That's, you know, that's uh, Proctine or whatever the case may be and, and help it correct. And it'll get better over time. It'll learn uh, in the future from what you're teaching it along that line. And we're, we're going to be able to take the world's records um, and continue to create indexes so that people can discover them. And, and beyond microfilm, we now have digital cameras. Uh, that we use. We're capturing, instead of capturing images on microfilm, we're capturing them, we'll call digitally at birth and putting them right online that we'll, we'll be able to do. And those kind of doors and innovation are happening. Now, is it hard to get these records? I know that some of them probably are more readily available than others. Some must be very, very difficult to obtain. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, this uh, we, we kind of call this the Zorum principle, basically, you know, the, the, the records are being kept by record custodians, the, the Zorums of the world. And uh, amazingly, the spirit of Elijah impacts them as well. Um, so, you know, years ago where we may have had difficulty reaching out to a record custodian somewhere in the world, uh, nowadays uh, they are reaching out to us to help them not only digitally preserve their records, uh, but also to help them create access 
to them. So, for example, the Ukraine, you know, people are always focused on the conflict uh, that may be uh, in, in areas like that. We've got over 30 digital camera teams in the Ukraine right now, digitally preserving and providing access to those precious genealogical records in that country. So that's just one example of things that uh, we are humbly seeing throughout the world. These record custodians are understanding the value of their records and that people all over the world uh, through the immigration and diaspora over the centuries or whatever are, are interested in their homelands and finding their ancestors, in many cases, returning. That's such a beautiful piece that we are bringing peace, even in a place of war. That's really what the Lord asked us to do, isn't it? To be the peacemakers. That's absolutely right, Maureen. And we all know that the more you learn about yourself and those that have come before you, it changes you, right? We've seen that over the years as children and, and adults alike, as we as we learn about uh, the shoulders that we stand on, as President Hinckley used to say, it makes you a different person uh, when you realize that the price that others have paid that are part of your history, your family fabric, uh, you've got shoulders that you're standing on. And it, it, uh, it's humbling to know that uh, others paid a price, uh, made some progression, and you're part of that, uh, that broader family story and legacy. We're connected. And if you want to do something good for your children, teach them family history, teach them the stories of their family, teach them about their grandparents. Any memories you can find on Family Search are so valuable because they do say, we can make it, we can do it, we can overcome. And you do build love for these people, but we are very interested in teaching our children and grandchildren our family history because of that. It binds us together. I love what President Nelson has promised us. He says, as you increase your time in temple and family history work, you will increase and improve your ability to hear him. And of course, President Nelson has told us over and over and over again that we need to learn how we personally hear the Lord. How do we hear him? And he's promising us as we will do this work, we will know better and be able to increase our ability to hear him. And I love that promise. And I was thinking about what Moroni told Joseph Smith when he slightly changed the words of the Malachi promise or prophecy. He said, he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. And if it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. But that Planting in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers. That sounds, Maureen, like covenant language, doesn't it? Sounds like the things you've been teaching for years about the covenant. It seems like we're not just looking at our ancestors. We're looking at our covenant fathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Adam, and Enoch, and Noah, and you know all of these covenant fathers. It's turning our hearts to them. It's turning our hearts to the scriptures. It's turning our hearts to everything that will turn our hearts to the Lord. Yeah, it's we cannot be perfected without them, right? And they cannot be made perfect without us. We've heard that promise. And I love what President Nelson um, said it, I think it was back in 2017, he and, and Sister Nelson spoke at Roots Decadence in the Leahona Magazine where, you know, he says, you and I can be inspired all day long about temple and family history experiences others have had. But until you and I do something to actually experience the joy for ourselves, 
it is something like a nice warm bath. It feels so good at the time and then it's over. Um, and I hope the listeners have um, an impression of how deeply spiritual this work is and how much it's tied to Heavenly Father's love for us and how the veil is so, so thin. As we start to sacrifice a little time and prayer and faith at seeking those who have gone before us, as well as leaving a, a record of our dealings with Heavenly Father for those who will come after us, uh, they'll draw to us and they'll make the connections. It is amazing all the stories that we, we hear of that happening from, um, you know, in and outside the temple and on both sides of the veil. Um, in my life and your lives, I'm sure you have stories like that to share as well. I was wondering, as we kind of come close to the end of the podcast here, Paul, in this massive family search, you know, where you talked about you have 17 billion names now in the records and you have all these things happening all the time. Do you see the hand of the Lord? Obviously, you just explained, like through artificial intelligence, we can say that is the hand of the Lord. But do you see like personal stories? Do you see like either other people who work there or at Roots Tech? Have you seen these kind of stories where people are having these experiences, these connections, these uh, feeling the spirit more? Do you have any of that you can share just some like micro personal experience? Yeah, you know, the promise is this from you know President Nelson and Elder Renlin and Elder Bednar, they've all shared the amazing blessings and benefits that come from this this work. I hope that we're impressed that you know every step uh, or sacrifice that we make towards um, prayerfully seeking our ancestors and extending the you know the saving ordinances to them, um, we'll we'll be blessed multiple fold. Um, maybe I can, you know, share one of my experiences um, with you, but, you know, to quickly answer your question, you know, at Roots Tech Online, we've got these communities online at Family Search where people come and share their stories. Uh, for members of the church, they, they actually talk about uh, ministering of angels, you know, their ancestors as ministering of angels to them in their lives. And, and for a non- uh, member of the church, they they describe them not as a spiritual experience, but as a serendipitous experience where they receive revelation and even visitations and impressions that that create discovery and family connections that way. And our staff in the library often says uh, patrons will woot out loud and jump up and give each other a high five um, when they make uh, cool discoveries and stuff like that. And they even pray themselves over the work. They recognize the spiritual nature of the work. But so, yeah, we see this all the time and it's such a privilege to be part of that. You know, personal experience I had um, a couple of years ago, just to share with, you know, listeners, the types of stuff that can happen. I had this, um, I had this great grandmother on my dad's side. Um, I knew that she was, you know, purely Italian and she didn't speak English well, so that the name that my family, the surname my family associated with her, um, was Bernard. I'm like, that is not an Italian name. That was not her name whatsoever. And um, I began to feel her presence, that she wanted to be found, that she wanted the connection to be made. 
to our family. And um, to some people, this may be a foreign concept, but I recognized her. I recognized her spirit. I knew who she was, even though I'd never met her. And I knew that she wanted to be found and connected. And uh, so I searched diligently to find her. And I just, with my best efforts in the records available at the time online, I couldn't do it. I couldn't find her. And yet she continued to be present to me and speak to me. And I just finally, I, you know, I turned the table and put the monkey on her back, kind of. I said, great grandma Rosina, I hear you. I hear you. I know you want to be found. You want to be the connections to be made, receive the, the blessings. I said, I can't find you. So you're going to need to step up and pull some strings on your side. And so I, I said, okay, she was from New Jersey. And I said, you know, I'm going to a conference in Philadelphia. I know that's not New Jersey, but it's on the Eastern Seaboard. I said, I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. I said, and um, I'm going to be prayerful and mindful of opportunities to make a connection with your records. I said, so um, I'll be mindful and, and aware and pay the price there. And you pull the strings on your side. Let's see if we can't make a connection. Okay, deal. And uh, so I went to this conference and I was actually working in the family search booth and I was trying, you know, trying to be mindful, sensitive to that promise I'd made between me and my great grandmother, Rosina, who I didn't know and no one else knew. And uh, I was at the booth and I saw this woman coming down the line of, of exhibitors there towards the booth. And I felt this impression um, to speak to her. And as she got close, I could see that she was, she was the assistant archivist for the state of New Jersey. And that's where my great-grandmother was from, right? And I said, okay, this is interesting. So I, as she came close, I went and introduced myself to her and told her my dilemma. And she was in a hurry, just kind of wait. She goes, write down what information you have and just give it to me. So she was kind of brushing me off. So I quickly wrote down what I had about my great-grandma Rosina on a business card and gave it to her. And I thought, all right, that didn't go as well as I thought it was going to go. Um, but the next day I was preparing to present at one of the sessions at this conference. And this woman approached me before my session and handed me this envelope. And I said, what is this? She just kind of says, she just waved me off again. And she says, do your presentation. Just take a look at it when you're done. <sighs> I couldn't wait to get through this presentation. So afterwards, when I opened this envelope and this envelope was the marriage record of Rosina from the state of New Jersey. And it had her parents, who I didn't know who they were, listed on here as well. And their maiden surnames and surnames. So it, it opened up not only one, but two generations for me. And I could feel my great-grandmother say, okay, great-grandson, the connection has been made. Now do your part. Now how she did this overnight, for me, you know, back then, I, I don't know, but I've had so many experiences like that. And so my, my message and testimony is that, you know, this work is real. This work is sacred and the savior is very much a part of it. And if we will do as we are admonished to do and make the sacrifices to um, spend the time in the temple, spend the time becoming familiar with the wonderful inspired tools and resources that are available to us. Um, the work, the veil is thin, and we are not alone, and doors will open for us as we make that a priority in our lives. And then, Scott, you'll probably want to talk about some of the tremendous blessings beyond that that the brethren have promised us as we make those sacrifices and priorities in our lives.
Let me just interrupt here for a moment because I had a wonderful experience as well that I'd love to share. We were in England doing research in archives that held the original records of some of our ancestors. And so we were excited. This was Scott's line we were exploring this particular day. And we wanted to find any end of line to see if we could break it. And um, so when we went to bed, we all prayed that we would find the person that we were supposed to find or the people, the many, and, and then went to sleep. And all night long, I heard someone calling my name and actually calling out her name. She said, Sarah Holden, Sarah Holden, Sarah Holden, Sarah Holden. She did not relent. It seemed to me that it went all night long, but I'm sure it couldn't have. But it seemed like it went all night long. It was repeated so often. And so when we awoke in the morning, I said to Scott, do you have anybody on your line who is a Sarah Holden at all? And so he opened it up, his genealogy, and he said, there she was. Sarah Holden, what, what great-grandmother was she to you, Scott? She was like my sixth or seventh great-grandmother. And I was so impressed that she talked to me. <laughs> and I, I said, I guess this means, Scott, that your ancestors are my ancestors and my ancestors are your ancestors. There's been a perfect welding. But we were impressed. And when we went the next day to the archives, what did we find, Scott? We found the, the line there and we found a number of people who had not had their work done, her siblings and others. And uh, we were able to break through to things that we just never found before. And it was clear that that's where we were supposed to be. I only have one warning for someone who wants to get into this work. Beware, because you'll love it so much, you'll let other things go. And certainly don't start at 10 o'clock at night because you won't be in bed until 1 o'clock. It does carry a spirit with it of joy and satisfaction and the Lord's um, presence helping you along. And that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And there's something for everybody. If, if you're intimidated a little bit about research and don't want to start there, well, then start with what you do know. Write, write the wonderful, inspiring stories about the relationship you have with a parent or with a grandparent in your life. You know, write their stories. Some people are wonderful storytellers. You know, I've got two siblings that don't like to necessarily do family history work. But they have got amazing memories of all the stories. When I listen to you two tell your stories on your podcast, I think you, you remind me of my siblings. They've got this ironclad memory of, of family and ancestors and experiences and stuff. And so I try to encourage them, write those down for us, guys. You, you've got a gift. Write those stories down. They're inspiring. And that's, that's a part of, of the whole process. Take the gift you got right now and the interest you have and contribute where you can. Photos and stories and memories are equally important if that's where, what you like and are interested in. I want to end this with this promise from Elder Renland. He promises as we do this work that we will have increased family blessings no matter our current, past, or future family situation or how imperfect our family tree may be and increase love and appreciation for ancestors and living relatives so that we no longer feel alone. And that's a really great blessing in this work. 
We have loved being with you today. We're grateful to have had Paul Nada with us today. We love this topic. We could go on and on forever about this. Just a quick reminder for those of you who are our podcast listeners. Remember, we told you that if you go to latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash 2023, you can then uh, buy the calendars, the New Testament Come Follow Me calendars for 2023 at a discounted price if you just put in the discount code LISTENER. So latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash 2023 with the discount code LISTENER. Thank you for joining us. Next week we'll have a special Christmas message and uh, this will be a wonderful ending to this year of studying the Old Testament. We have loved being with you. We're grateful to our producer, Michaela Proctor Hutchins, and also to the music that accompanies this podcast from Paul Cardall. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful and Merry Christmas, a wonderful season of joy with your families, and we'll see you next time.